Hi, you're listening to Secrets for an Inspirational Life with me, your host, Mimi Novik. I'm so happy and thrilled to have you here with me. I have created this series for all of us so we can change our world together and live a more holistic and balanced life. Together, we will share lots of inspiring stories from all walks of life, speak with leading experts, enjoy healthy living ideas, explore music and subjects that inspire each other to always have hope. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate all of you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Secrets for an Inspirational Life. How are you all today? I hope that wherever you are, there are some moments of joy. I hope there is not too much worry going on in your life and that you are able to find some peace and tranquility amongst all of these crazy things that are going on in the world. And I think to myself sometimes, you know, that subject about worrying about things and we all do it. I think we're all sort of guilty of worrying about things. But I have to say it really, and that's from personal experience, it doesn't change anything at all. We have to gain a faith, a faith in ourselves, a faith in something greater than ourselves, and also a faith that we are part of something magnificent. Every single day, we are given the chance to try again, to live again. It doesn't matter what circumstances that we find ourselves in. We have a chance. Every moment is a new chance. So let us not despair. Let us not look back too far into the past, nor too far into the future. And let us really take into our hands this present moment and truly live it. Now, I am very excited, as always, and you all know that, about my wonderful guests. And I'm absolutely delighted to welcome my guest tonight who is all the way from the United States. And that is the very interesting and actually enigmatic Jonathan Van Valen. Jonathan is a spiritual teacher and a writer, but that's not all that he does. And he's going to tell us more about that later. One of the main things that Jonathan is going to talk about tonight is that Jonathan actually experienced something quite remarkable, and that is a near-death experience. While he was recovering at home from major surgery, he spent 36 hours experiencing what it was like to die, during which he came to recognize the nature of his deepest self, the secret to overcoming suffering, and what it was like to merge with the divine. Jonathan now travels, writes, creates media, and meets with people to share what he received during his life-changing experience. 
Today, he shares his amazing journey. Welcome, dear Jonathan. Thank you, Mimi. Delighted to be here. Oh, I'm delighted that you're here. How are you today? I'm excellent. I'm excellent. Most excellent. It's a beautiful winter day here just outside the city of Seattle. Mm -hmm. Now, where are you exactly? Because you did tell me this earlier and it sounded quite lovely. (laughs) Yes, uh, I'm on Bainbridge Island, which is a 30-minute ferry boat ride from downtown Seattle. This this is Mm -hmm. way up in the upper left-hand corner of the United States. So I'm out in the middle of Puget Sound on Bainbridge Island, which is uh, very forested and uh, uh, riddled with uh, critters like bald eagles and there's sea lions and harbor seals and poking around in the waters and things like that. And it's a very lovely place to spend a little bit of time, which I often get to do when I come out to my friend's home here. It sounds it sounds so beautiful. And, you know, when I listen to my guests and they talk to me about because they're from all over the place. And as you were talking there, I actually felt I was there with you because (laughs) it was it's so amazing. You know, technology for all the things that are wrong with it, I have to say, this is one of the things that is quite wonderful is that here we are. You're on the other side of the planet and mm-hmm. we're talking, we're sharing this moment and it, I'm always in awe at that. Now, you have an incredible story. I'm, I'm happy to share it. And, and just to uh, add to something that you just said about having just a little touch of that experience, mm. if, if, I, if I had to impart a, a little tiny bit of what I see as some of the purpose of all these sorts of things is that uh, when you just mentioned that you had, it's almost as though you had a little experience yourself of what it was like to be here. And yes. that I think is the magic of, of connecting with each other, coming together. And I mean that in a broad sense, that's just part of what happens when humans come together. And uh, when I get to speak with people and tell stories and do the writing and media creation and things like that, the only aim ultimately is to offer whomever is being connected with a little touch of a direct experience of their own. So I'm just tickled that you mentioned that in the way that you did. (laughs) It was. It was as if I was in that story and it was a magical story. And for for that glimmer, you know, that momentary glimmer, I was there and you took me there. So thank you for that. Amen. Sure. Delighted. Now, there's so many things that you do and so yeah. many things. I mean, where does one begin? But one has to begin somewhere. So <laughs> let us go back All right. a little bit for me to ask you, where did this whole incredible journey of you nearly dying to where mm. you are now? And that's me condensing it greatly start somewhere because <laughs> I don't know where to start. Right. I have to say, because really I'm, I'm sort of, which is not usual for me, but I'm lost <laughs> for words because I know that you have <laughs> really have gone through some really amazing experiences in life. Well, there's some truth to that. The, I mean, as far as where to start and how to uh, traverse all of that, it's, it's a, 
that is a, that is an enormous amount of landscape. It's also many years, in fact. So, just since you brought it up, I mean, I suppose <laughs> we'll start with what you alluded to and almost dying and whatnot. That mm-hmm. is a it's a reasonable place to start, but it, it it's true, very true, to say that it's not actually the beginning of the story, which is you know I think we can all relate to that. Anyone who's gone through something. Uh, remarkable, interesting, dramatic, or life-changing in some way. Well, there was a whole lot of story before that happened, too, that led up to it. And uh, that's certainly true with me. But in this particular case, where that uh, story we could sort of arbitrarily begin was, uh, as you alluded again, there's a, there was a surgery. I had a surgery on my throat. It was for a, a sleep apnea condition, which uh, is quite common, actually. But this is a somewhat unusual solution to it. And uh, the, in my case, and no need to labor over these particular details, but in my, in my case, that sleep apnea is a condition in which you stop breathing when you sleep. And it's momentary, and it's got all kinds of adverse effects, which is why it's a you know, meaningful solvent, of course. But in my case, the solution was to surgically remove a great deal of tissue from the back of my throat and other things like that. And it's it's not very often done because it's known as an extremely painful recovery. That's among the reasons, uh, but it's one of the biggest. And so where the story really begins is that I've been released from the hospital. I was in the hospital for four days. My, I'm 29 years old at the time. My father has decided to, he wants to watch over me carefully in my recovery. And he comes to take me home uh, from the hospital. And he takes me out to the, the family farmhouse, which is two hours east of the city and uh, somewhat remote, but a great place to hang out and not do much for a while. And uh, I'm simply in his care under his watchful eye. And the state in which I'm uh, departing the hospital is one in which I can I can't I can barely speak at all. I can mostly I can eke out a whispered word at most, and uh, I can't really <laughs> I really can't function very in any meaningful way at all. I mean I'm, mm. I'm destined to do nothing but sort of sit sit and stare out windows for we don't know but quite a few days probably. And the the reason that it's an exceptionally painful recovery is that there's a tremendous amount of ner- all the nerve tissue in the body sort of ends up going up through your neck and up into your head where you know and uh when you when you go chopping out all kinds of tissue that that disturbs all of that and it's also true that you have to continue to use this part of your body you're going to continue to breathe and to swallow and things like that and so the analogy given me at the time by the surgeon was simply this is going to be extremely painful. You're going to be one of the few people that know what it's like to break your leg and then have to walk. And Oops. that's going to go on for quite a while because it's going to take, you know, a number of weeks for this to be, you know, heal up. So I am carted out to the farmhouse in a state of absolute. <laughs> it's true. It was, it was, it was accurate. It was absolutely knee buckling, mind bending pain. Um, and that's, that's just how there we go. Uh, there was sort of nothing, nothing else to say about it other than that's part of the deal. Uh, and so there's a lot of reasons why I wasn't going to be doing a whole lot more than staring out windows for a little while. Mm. 
so I'm in his care. He's this is a this is a farmhouse. It, there's actually my father was uh, he was at the time he was a part time attorney and a part time uh, running a, an orchard on the farm. That was sort of his passion project, and so he's kind of just pottering around doing farm chores and house chores. And he comes in and checks on me frequently and sees how I'm doing. And usually there's not much to see uh, or even to check on. But uh, where the it began to get interesting was about three or four days in his care. It's the middle of the day. And I simply, I, I literally am simply sitting and inwardly, I experienced what I can best describe as simply an inner click. It was a notable moment, which there was literally a click. And instantly in that moment, I began to I recognize that the animating life force within me was beginning, beginning to drain away. I was simply beginning to recede. It was instantly clear my body was beginning to die. And immediately upon that click came a startling recognition, which was that the aspect of me that was observing my body dying, that aspect of me was not dying. There was this sort of observer aspect of my consciousness that could observe the body, observe what I thought of as me. And yet it was not uh, it was it was it was still whole. It was still vibrant. It was still. It had not been impugned or impacted or affected in any way whatsoever. And so there was this. Another way to put it is that there was this sort of immediate recognition that I and my body were two different things. And I had never experienced that in quite that way before. Uh, but it was an extraordinary revelation and an extraordinary freedom because what it meant was that the pain in that body was not me. And so it was in this moment that my body began to die that I was released from that suffering and released completely. It wasn't because the pain in the body itself disappeared. It was because there was this experience, this recognition, this absolutely crystal clear recognition, again, that that body wasn't me. Which is a point we'll probably circle back around to <laughs> another time or two. Yeah. Here, but, um, so there is this really, uh, you know, that confers a moment of freedom in that, from that situation in, in a way that was was staggering. It was so staggering, uh, and uh, it wasn't. It wasn't the. wasn't even the most staggering thing. Uh, quickly, uh, or sort of immediately, actually, upon that recognition that sort of I and my body were two different things, and the I part wasn't dying. The, the second recognition immediately was that that the draining away of that life force was going relatively slowly, <laughs> and so. There was it was very clear that you know this wasn't imminent in the next couple of hours. This would probably be a day and a half or two days before this body really, you know, 
really, really died. And the freedom of being released from that suffering was so extraordinary and so sort of overwhelming that the, that the notion of being worried just somehow flew out the door. Uh, it was just, it was, uh, it, there was just this tremendous experience of, well, there's plenty of time. There's no reason to be worried here at all. None. The, what is actually me is not even affected by the fact that this body is dying. It's not affected at all. It's not, it is itself not dying. And, uh, it's not affected by this body in any way. And yet it is as vibrant and alive and conscious as could be. That's how I could, that it's the seat of the awareness of the body. And that, that, that awareness is, is not impugned in any way. And so if that body's going to take a little while to die, that's fine. I mean, there's plenty of time. If we want to do something about this, we could. There's plenty of time. There's no sense of rush or worry. And how long did that moment of realization, because I've heard stories of these mm -hmm. experiences. Was it a case that you were out of your body and were experiencing um, that separation, I suppose, mm -hmm. between soul yes. and body? Were you looking upon your body or were you still in that awareness of being within your body, but somehow separate? That's a very good question. It's actually very subtle. I'm going to try to give it the, the answer it deserves. So the let's let me, let me start with this. The we are so attuned to our bodies. I mean, we spend virtually every minute of every day, at least that we're awake feeling like we kind of look at looking out of our eyeballs, we can look down at our feet and that's where we look from. That's our perspective. And we operate in the world with the physical senses of this body of touch and sight and sound and smell. And, taste and, and, uh, and we have the perceptions of all the thoughts that seem to run through our heads and things like that. And it's a very, so it's very bodily oriented. And the reason I'm mentioning that is that the, when, when someone says, well, was it an out of body experience? that sort of suggests that all of those perceptual levers, those perceptual senses are intact. They're just located in a different place. And the, as if, as if there are sort of two bodies and the, the, the awareness that comes or that came there and in that moment was that that physical body was actually had an illusory quality to it. That the, the real seat of reality, the real seat of the sense of me and I was transcended those physical limitations entirely, which is why the physical limitations of that body, including its literal physical limitations and the pain that was in it and all the sensations associated with those senses were no longer a meaningful limitation. And so when someone says, well, did you have an out-of-body experience? Like, were you seeing your body from somewhere else? It's, 
it's difficult to uh, describe the reality of it because the um, the because if you're if that body is illusory and you're perceiving awareness in a way that doesn't have anything to do with the physical limitations of a body at all, then to say, oh, it's over here, looking over there, begins not to make so much sense. It's it's why I've often preferred the word awareness to consciousness. Because the the way that experience unfolded was that I was aware. There was awareness. Very aware of the world around me, very aware of the body right here that's beginning to die. And if I look out the window and am aware of the countryside outside that window, it still seems as though I'm looking out of roughly the same vantage point as I was before. But it's still exquisitely clear that that awareness is not the same. It's not synonymous with, it's not identified with, it's not physically limited actually by that body. So <laughs> the, the funny thing is a, a question like, well, did you have an out-of-body experience? So again, I'll, I'll put it in a different way. It's sort of like that confers two levels of reality. Like there's the body here and there's the other body hmm. here, two different locations. And it sort of accords reality uh, equally to both of them. And this was an awareness that was aware in a way that was unbound by that limitation of, uh, of space in the sense that it was impossible to locate the, it was impossible to find the locus of that awareness. And so it was as though the, the three dimensions that this body was in and existing in, that that limitation simply wasn't, wasn't meaningful any longer. It's, you can see that it can be very difficult to put these things in words. No, I but, understand. Um, I understand you totally. Um, yeah. It is not as if, well, there are two bodies. I understand right. that. It, yeah. it, it is absolutely the, uh, the awareness of the state of being that you're in. And, and I, I suppose to put it quite simply, which is, it doesn't do it justice, but mm -hmm. it, it really is. The body is really a vehicle. So, or, um, for the soul, because, um, I always liken it to the fact that the soul is mm -hmm. suddenly, although <laughs> the soul is always in control, I believe it's not the body. Um, the body is, as I said, the vessel, but I totally agree with you. It's, it's a certain awareness. It's a certain state of being of consciousness, definitely. And it's not something that I think can be easily understood by anyone, unless you have actually been through that experience yourself. It's pretty That's important, right. I think, to explain yeah. it in earthly terms. It, it can be quite difficult. It, I, one yeah. of the finest answers to questions like, what's the deal? What happened? What the story is? Mm. Hey, uh, come and find, come, come and find out for yourself. Experience it directly. And then you will really know. 
<laughs> Otherwise, we can talk about it and we can point to it, and yes. uh, we can we can sort of cuddle up a little closer to it uh, in a way that's that's lovely and and is frequently helpful. But but at the end of the day, it's you know you don't to go back to a, something we an analogy we had earlier was it's like talking about getting in the pool is very different than jumping in the pool. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Or trying to explain to someone what honey tastes like. Yes. Um, you can't. But yeah. but people can get a sense, I think. Yeah. And I think this is the point. It happens to certain people, to some people, and there's a greater reason for that. And also there is an even greater reason why it doesn't happen to everybody. Um, usually it is always, we'll talk about this a little bit after this part of the story, but it has such a profound effect on people that have gone through this type of experience. Their life, in a way, is their second life. It's it's mm-hmm. never the same. But I'm interested, yes. Jonathan, in, as in, did you experience going to another place? Or was it just there where you were yeah let me let me address that i'm going to do it using uh, one of the words that you just used yourself i'm going to borrow it uh, and turn it upside down a little actually and that was the word soul Mm. and it's true that in this immediate in this immediate recognition there was as i've attempted to describe another way i could describe it was that as i as i was aware of this body and aware of it being a, a, a you know, a separate and frankly illusory uh, projection, essentially. Uh, that in that there was still very much a sense of individuatedness in that moment. It was sort of like the individuated sense of self had been released from the limitations of the body, but it was still an individuated sense of self. And it was in this state of awareness that could look upon the situation and look upon the body. It, that, that individuated sense of self was clearly not dying at all. It was not impugned by this bodily situation in any way whatsoever. And it, it, because I keep saying it was as a result, it was completely freed from the suffering. One of the th- points I like to make about that is that, that pain and suffering can be two different things. There was still pain in that body, and it was a recognizable experience that was occurring. The pain had not itself disappeared. It was just that there was no longer any sense of suffering about it because it wasn't, it wasn't me. It wasn't mine. I didn't have to own it. I didn't have to, uh, I didn't have to tell a story about how horrible it was because it wasn't. It, it was, it was still there. It just wasn't mine. And so there was a release from the suffering of it. But that, and that's, I think that's, that's a lot of often how people think of souls. Like, well, I have a soul. I, I have this non-corporeal aspect of me, but it's still an individuated sense. It's, it's me. It's just non-bodily. It's bigger than that. It's sort of like increasing, increasing the size of the sense itself. I have my limited bodily self and if I think of myself as a soul, now I have much bigger boundaries. That's sort of, I think, the way people often think about souls. 
And in that particular moment, I could, I could, I could relate with that kind of understanding to it. But the, the second experience that came flooding in immediately also upon all the rest of this happening, it sort of all happened simultaneously, frankly, was that even that individuated sense of self, even if it was a non-corporeal sense of self, began to fade. It began to dissolve. It began to, um, that individuated sense of self felt as though it was beginning to lose its individuality and merge into this sort of incomprehensibly large vastness that contained absolutely everything at all. And that began to be a sort of revelation and a freedom that was even greater than had immediately been conferred by being released from that bodily suffering in the first place. And it, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead, go ahead. I'll, I'll, I could circle right back to it if you like. If you what came to me strongly as you spoke is this sense of being limitless. Yes. Um, a sense of nothingness mm-hmm. to suddenly becoming limitless to becoming everything and beyond everything a sort of Mm -hmm. a union yes within the cosmos and even beyond the physical limitations of the cosmos yeah yeah you're right and in in this case this was this was gentle it was this was not this was as every molecule of life force drained away, that sense of merging into that infinite vastness increased. It was, it was exquisitely gentle. And, uh, and happening at this sort of gentle measured pace. And so it wasn't being thrust into something. It was, it was a, an awareness of that. I could, I could see in that moment that I was beginning to merge with the, the infinite. And that does mean that, that that sense of individuated self was being sort of chipped away and falling away and falling away a little more, a little bit more. As my body died a little bit more, that sense of merging with the infinite happened a little more and a little more. And this is the part in, in, in many people's journeys, and I think in many the listeners, uh, when they think, oh no, is that what it really means to die, to lose this self, this sense of self? And there's, there can be a little bit of a, frankly, a little panic about it. <laughs> but what I would emphasize and, and literally share with anyone listening is that, again, this is emerging into the infinite. This is emerging into all, absolutely all with a capital A. And if something is absolutely all, then it can't be missing anything. And as such, there cannot possibly be any sense of loss. 
And if you can imagine in any way what it might be like to experience a moment in which there could not possibly be any sense of loss of any kind, then it sort of floods in naturally that how could there possibly be any sense of fear or any sense of loss or any sense of things not being perfectly <laughs> perfectly mm. perfect. I always liken it, Jonathan, to the drop of water ultimately merging with this yes. ocean of unity. Yes. The ocean is contained in the drop, the drop is contained in the ocean, and there is no separateness. Right, very much. And I think bringing it back to life and your talk about suffering, mm -hmm. a lot of suffering that goes on is this sense of feeling isolated yes. and distanced from the source. Yes, and, and that can take so many forms. Mm. I, I mean, it, it, in, in the end, if, there were, if I had anything to say in any way about spiritual teaching, one way of summing it up would be that the spiritual journey is a journey from separation to wholeness. And, yeah. I, and I mean that on, on a metaphoric level. I mean it on a very real, ordinary, practical, daily level. I mean it on every possible level. Yeah. <laughs> In, including, you know, when one gets to a certain point in the journey, even that sense of an individuated, personal, separated self can, in fact, begin to soften and dissolve. And that's, it's a part of it. It's a, it's a just a, it's a overwhelmingly natural part of the journey that absolutely every seemingly separated soul is going to approach at some point in some way. And there are going to be a million smaller steps along the way. For me, this was one of them. And that experience in itself lasted a certain amount of time. Yes. During that experience, was your father aware that you were in <laughs> this state? That's a good question. He was not. He had no idea. So it's the middle of the afternoon. I've started to die uh, in that same moment as I've tried to describe in length and breath here. Um, the entire experience is flipped completely on its head. It went from an experience of literally being pretty much pure hell to one of the most extraordinary, exquisite, beatific, overwhelming peace that I could, have, I, I could never have fathomed without experiencing it directly, in which some of the most knee-buckling, mind-bending pain is rendered irrelevant. And I just simply in a state of such overwhelming peace that in which there is nothing that appears to be wrong, nothing as a result. If, if, everything, if, everything, if everything is as I attempted to describe it, how could there possibly be a need for something to change? And yeah. that was how I felt. I mean, I, it, it began to be simply a, a stunning, 
um, I, I was just, I was essentially just sitting in absolute awe. And as, as always throughout these days, you know, there would come a point eventually where my father would pop in and have a look and make sure I was all right, pop back out and keep doing whatever he was doing. And I'm pretty sure it, I'm quite sure <laughs> that that was the case. You know, he'd pop in, and, um, I might look at him. I, I didn't have anything to say. So you were thing. conscious at this point. He, you were not Absolutely. unconscious. Okay. Absolutely. Entirely. Okay. Absolutely. The, uh, I was sitting around in the living room. That's what I was doing. And, uh, and that's it really. Uh, I, I couldn't, there was, there was certainly no sense on my part whatsoever that there was a problem. Never mind the fact that I was very clear that the body was dying. That was very clear. And I'll come back to that point in, in a moment when we get to the part where medical professionals confirmed it. But uh, I also knew that I couldn't possibly explain anything to my father. Like, even if I could talk better than I was literally physically capable of at the time, because I was barely capable of talking at all. Hmm. Uh, there's no way I could have looked at my father and said, hey, dad, I'm dying. And you know what? It's fine. I, in fact, this is one of the most extraordinary experiences I've ever had ever. I, I'm not even sure I'd give this back if I, if I, you know, if I had the opportunity to. This is, this is literally one of the most extraordinary things that's ever occurred to me. Also, by the way, dad, my body, you know what? <sighs> kind of irrelevant. <laughs> uh, yeah, the me part, not dying at all. My body, it's dying, but that's fine. You know, I, I couldn't say that. I couldn't, I couldn't, I, I couldn't have put any of this into words at the time. And, and then yeah. if I get, took one more step and said, oh, also, by the way, uh, you know what? I'm, I'm pretty much merging into the overwhelming, ineffable allness that appears to be just. Do we have a better word for divine, the divine, than that? But do we have a better word than God for that? I don't, I don't know that we do. I don't know what to call it. But uh, anyway, I'm merging into that. All's well, Dad. Go ahead and do what you got to do. Like that, I couldn't, I couldn't make sense of any of that. Nor would he have, nor would he have uh, been able to hear it. God bless him. I mean, it, he just, that would have made no sense to him whatsoever. So I said nothing, which I was delighted by. <laughs> and, it, it, you know, that's just how the day went. And so, yes, this experience, as I've described it, uh, lasted the rest of the day, it lasted into the night. You know, the, the experience of this whole thing, had, you know, I had hardly slept because that's hard to sleep when you're just, just shattering pain. And so sleep had been a very, you know, just I hardly slept much. And but given the, the change of the state of affairs, there was a thought that goes through my head like, hey, I might actually be able to go to sleep. <laughs> this, that sounds awesome. This is probably great. And I do. And so, that, you know, I eventually I go to bed and, and I wake up periodically through the night. And every time I do, I check in with this experience. And, you know, I ask myself internally, am I, am I still dying? Yes. Yeah, it's actually speeding up. Yeah, that life force is draining away faster. But 
as that life force is draining away faster, so is the merging with the divine speeding up as well. They're in perfect concert with each other. And that remains um, exquisitely peaceful in that there is a, a, a well-quoted line that many know from a very popular source that uh, describes it as the peace that passes all understanding. And what I uh, am fond of, of, of being able to gently remind people of is that just because something is beyond someone's understanding does not in any way mean that it's beyond their experiencing. That's yeah. what's at the core of that little phrase. Mm. These are things that can and will be experienced, even if they're difficult to put into linear, rational terms. But that's why experience can be so powerful and words, uh, although important, and have their place. Yeah. Direct experience always trumps, always trumps the words. And mm. so... In any case, so I go through this night, I wake up the following morning, you know, gosh, am I still dying? Yeah, I am. It's speeding up quite a bit now, actually. And I, I also, there's so much time that's passed, there's there's a sort of re reflection for me in which I, I basically, I can see that, you know, and I'm saying this metaphorically, but I'm very aware of this threshold, let's call it. And, you know, it's easy for me to project my mind into that being a doorway, a literal threshold. And, you know, the walking through that doorway into the you know that's laying this body completely aside and you know um going to the other side as we say um uh, and that is a, it's just it's simply an open option for me it's very obvious and clear that i can go through that doorway what's also clear is that i do actually have a choice i i can actually opt not to if i want which seems a little surprising because when you are faced with the most beatific peace and perfect wholeness, it could seem like a funny decision to want to turn around and go in the other direction. And that was a point of reflection that was with me for many, many years. Um, but as I began to look at that doorway, look at that threshold and so on and so forth, I, it was, I can't really explain it other than it was simply a feeling within that just said, you know, I think, I think I'm not really going to go through the doorway. I'm not done here yet. There's stuff I got to do. I don't even know what it is. Actually, I'm not really clear on that at all. I just, uh, I'm just not, I think I, I think I should just, I think I'm, I'm not done and I should stick around. And and so that was just a sort of a point of reflection throughout the, the next day. And then in, again, in the middle of the next afternoon, that next afternoon, I, there's another point where my father comes in and kind of looks at me. But this time I see him really squint. I see his eyes like squints up and looks at me carefully. And he says, Jonathan, I think something's not right. I think we better load up the car and head back over to the hospital. And I've sort of been reflecting on this whole notion of, well, am I going through the doorway or not? He says, well, you know, I think we should load up the car. And I think, yeah, sure. Yeah. You know what? I am on board with that. I mean, merging into the divine is the most exquisite thing I could possibly imagine. And, and so on. But, um, but I'm sort of, you know, sort of a feeling of like there was 51% of me that thought, no, you should stay in 49% thought. This is this is exquisite. Why? Why not go? Why not go through that doorway? Um, 
But there was just that, just that little bit tips it in the balance. And so when he says this to me, I think, yeah, great, we'll go. Let's go. Let's go to the hospital. I think we're going to turn this around. And it, again, it's I, I, I dawdle. I, I take, I, you know, I, I take the longest time to get my act together, and and uh, I'm not in a hurry at all. And the reason I'm not in a hurry is I can't, I still can't see that there's anything amiss about the situation. There's no sense of urgency. There's no sense of tragedy in me. There's no sense whatsoever that something terrible is happening. That the body dying is a problem. Uh, it's just, I'm just going through this experience. And, uh, so I just, there's no urgency on my part and that's why I'm sort of dawdling around, but we eventually do get going. It's a two hour drive. I go back to the same hospital at which the original surgery was performed. I'm taken to the ER and immediately upon my admittance, these doctors confirm that my body is dying. It is dying for the dumbest reason on the planet, which is dehydration. And uh, that's just, that's the deal. Why, why I was, um, why I was released in the hospital from the, in the first place days before in a state in which I was essentially incapable of eating and drinking, I don't know. <laughs> uh, I had made some attempts uh the act of, of eating something was was a was a level of, of pain that I, I just literally cannot put into words and so it just didn't happen much and it was sort of like nobody noticed including me but i hadn't really been taking in any liquids either and so it was very simple my body was dying of dehydration so dumb and these yard docs also <laughs> it's an easy problem to fix too so they, you know, they figure this out and they stick me with an IV and immediately dump a liter of saline solution into my veins. And, and the minute that IV is connected, all of this begins to reverse. And that life force begins to, I feel it instantly. It's, it begins to flow back in. And that merging with the infinite begins to reverse as well. And it's just instantly clear that I am going from the this state of awareness and it's going to, I'm going to come more back into that, that bodily framework. And that's, that's simply exactly what happens. And so within minutes, all of this begins to reverse. They, you know, they keep me for a couple hours to observe and make sure I'm still all right. And so on, but they, they release us uh, soon enough. And again, later that evening, we're taking a two hour drive back, back to the farmhouse. And, and I have, you know, I have a, a greater you know, chance to reflect on some of these things. And uh, I, I think of one of my major points of reflection is to my grandfather, who had a very graceful passing. And I, I didn't really understand it as a younger person. But given the experience I had just gone through, I felt that I had an enormous amount of insight into some of his own experience that, that, uh, that, well, it was just very moving to me. And, um, and overall, I was simply, I was actually glad to be coming back. I, there was something visceral about that choice to not go through that doorway that, that still felt right, even though it still meant refusing to go towards the overwhelming peace of the infinite. And yet that still felt right. And, and for that, I felt good. And, and because of that, it felt like every step in my, you know, the recovery. So 
was sort of a happy, you know, a happy achievement. And so it, I, I was back at the farmhouse for three solid weeks and it, it took that long to heal up. And so three weeks later, after all of this, I'm ready to, I go back to my own home. I go back to my, my job and I kind of get back in the swing of things. And something I've, I've often alluded to is that I've sometimes said to people that this experience, as extraordinary as it sounds, and it, and it was extraordinary, at first, it, it didn't really move my needle as much as people might think. And I think the reason for that is I just simply, as, as sort of mind-blowing, you could, you know, we could call it, as mind-blowing as it was at the time, there was this, this part where, you know, it did gently come to a close and I kind of began to get back into regular life. And I wanted to get back to regular life with a, you know, kind of with a vengeance. Like I, and, and there were moments where I thought, wait a minute, I remember what it was like to think this body was virtually irrelevant. And, but here in the scope of warp and weave of regular life, it seems very important that it should be protected and cared for and terribly, you know, valued and, and defended vigorously and that sort of thing. And, and those were all, I, I couldn't quite, that was such a, a, that was such a contradiction to what I had seen and understood and felt and experienced that I simply couldn't reconcile it. I couldn't, I couldn't reconcile it. And, and it was a solid decade of going through additional experiences that brought that brought some of the the aspects of that this this NDE experience back over time that uh, it it took it took many years actually to to sort of it's fused infuse its truths in me in a way that made them really truly accessible. And there I actually ended up having to go through some other really pivotal experiences that that really were the seat of the, the ultimate transformation in which the experiences I'm describing felt as though they settled in permanently. And and eventually just, you know, my the way I looked upon the world and see it and experience it really is completely different than it was before. Uh, but that was a long process. And one of one of the things that brought that process along was having to be faced with other instances of death and dying. So when I was, and, and there, there was a handful that were, there was a bunch actually that didn't, I didn't seek these things, but just life brought them or family member is dying, dear friend is dying, things like these. And, and eventually my father's dying. And I'm, I'm actually the, the task of determining when to tell the medical professionals to unhook the machines and let it die has fallen to me. And I have to make that call. And um, and and I felt honored by it, actually. And I knew that there was all the other family members that were around me at the time, including his wife. Um, it, it probably sounds funny, but I, I never spoke about these things to them. And, and it was in part because I could, then I still couldn't figure out how to put them into words. But even if I thought I could put them into words, I was also convinced that they wouldn't, 
they simply wouldn't be able to hear it. It's a very strange thing to look at someone and say, well, you know, your body's actually an illusion and you are a non-corporeal awareness that uh, has no limitations in a way that is equal to the divine. Like, sure, that's a mouthful, but it, it's like the words can be understood, but can, <laughs> can the person actually wrap their minds around what that really means? I, I simply found myself convinced that I, I, that, that wasn't possible. And that may have been you know, a limitation of my own at the time in its own right. But, um, but when this moment comes, when this responsibility falls to me, what I end up feeling is deeply, deeply, deeply honored. Because I know that I'm the only family member that knows essentially where my father is about to go. And for that, I cannot help but celebrate it. And so when it comes time to make that choice, make the decision, and that, uh, that event does come, that moment does come, um, it, 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 was, it was simply a moment of some of the deepest loving solidarity with my father I've ever had. And, and again, in a way that I've tried to describe before, in that sense, it wasn't even a tragedy. It was a, a, a loving moment of union that simply passes understanding of the overwhelming peace and loveliness. And that's why I said, I, I, I'm not usually lost for words, but um, it's an incredible story. And Jonathan, it's something that I totally understand. I see that. I totally understand it. And I wanted to ask you is when you came back, so to speak, mm -hmm. and I suppose enveloped the earthly career, so to speak. Mm -hmm. um, I always think that we're here on a job, all of us, whether we know it or not, whether we accept mm -hmm. it or not. You can't be the same because no. it's like that old saying, which is so true of all the old mystics of old. It's dying before you die. <laughs> yes, in my case, somewhat more literally than most people. Yeah, observe. yeah. Mm. And it's people that go through that. I think every person that I've spoken to about this, and I can really truly identify with it, is that their life is never the same. Mm -hmm. And you don't look at things the same. You don't feel things the same. In a way, it is the second life and the real life. Mm -hmm. And your choice, as you said, that 1% that made the difference between leaving <laughs> and staying. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And having that choice, this is the thing. Is it really our choice? Was it really your <laughs> choice? Very good question. That's a very good question because mm. it, that question points directly and um, ferociously at the heart of the question of, well, what is that I that appears mm. to be making the choice? Yeah. And 
And when we think of it as being that small self, that sense of an individuated self, could it, 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 if we pick it apart as much as we can, mm, that, that, that sense of an individuated, egoic, separate self, the one that we usually feel like is barking in our heads most of the time, um, if we pick it apart, we could end up seeing that the, the seat of that particular kind of decision seems to be beyond it. Yes, it's um, it's not our thoughts. I think it goes beyond thought. It oh. goes beyond the ego, which is yes. obviously bound to the earth for mm -hmm. all its worldly desires and pleasures of eating and drinking and whatever, having a good time. It mm -hmm. It's beyond that. It's beyond thought. It's a state of being sublime. Mm -hmm. And really, you choosing or it being chosen for you in reality I think one day you'll find out if you haven't already. But although we have free will, mm -hmm. I think there is a greater will beyond that. Yes. And, um, those, that's another thing that can be kind of fascinating and interesting and difficult to pick apart. But the, where it seems like things are in flow and in harmony is when what seems to be our personal will is in harmony with that great will. And I say it that way because if, uh, because it, it's, it's possible for those things to seem like they oppose each other sometimes, but, um, but when they are in harmony with each other, it feels like we're choosing. But at the time that we're making those choices, it's also somehow clear viscerally that what we're experiencing really is the movement of the greatest will. And so it's, it's as though these, they, they merge. It's another one of the ways in which two becomes one. Yeah, 100%. And ultimately, everything is one. Indeed. Every other number that goes beyond, but again, it's a nothing, because ultimately everything comes down to one. Yeah. One plus Indeed. one is two. Two plus. E so this joining the, yeah. is really, I suppose, us dissolving into the one. It is. That's it's it's a it's a sort of. You know, if we if we, we look at that in worldly terms, we could say that anytime we come together in that way, in a way that's loving, essentially, that's a, an outward picture of the otherwise inward condition, the inward awareness of what's ultimately one. Yes. It's a way in which it gets demonstrated. I, the um, probably, well, First of all, you know, as I as I said, this this you know this initial near death experience, as, as dramatic as it sounds, and it was dramatic, obviously, but it 
my 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 response to it at the time as I got back in the swing of the regular world was mostly to bury it, as I said, because I, I couldn't reconcile my worldly experience with that with that non uh, with, with the experience of being so far beyond the limitations of this world. I, I couldn't reconcile it. And so I mostly buried it. It's like I shoved it aside and just tried not uh, I didn't I didn't look at it. But the the course of life events kind of kept forcing me to reconcile with it, kept forcing me to return to it. I, I certainly I couldn't forget it. It was indelibly in my consciousness. But I did not speak of it in any way whatsoever for you know over a decade. And what it really did was take I never had identified particularly as a spiritual seeker, even though I could I could look at my past and see some sort of underpinnings of that sort of thing for sure, but I never thought of it in those terms. But after this point, I I'm gonna skip a lot of experiences in history here, but after this point, there it did sort of the, the act of beginning to reconcile these things. And for instance, to reconcile that notion, that feeling inwardly of like, well, there is a reason to be here. I, I, it was the right choice to opt to stay. Well, why? What am I supposed to be doing here? And I didn't have an answer for that. All I knew is that what I was doing at the time was definitely not it. So there was this, there was simply this feeling of like, I yeah. know, I know there, I know there's something there. There's, there's something. I can't even put my finger on it. But I, and I know. I know that what I am literally doing with my daily, you know, existence is, is not it. And that sort of began to drive what you would have to eventually call a spiritual search. Because it was just it, the questions of, all right, what is this? What's really true? What am I doing here? What is the point of all this? You know, the, the deepest possible existential, existential questions which I had asked in the past, but kind of given lip service to more than at this point where it was like, this was getting to be serious, really serious. <laughs> and, uh, and that's really, I mean, in a way I could say that's what describes the decade after this NDE and that, that the, the search and the question, the, the seeking for those questions began to, rise in way internally to me that began to be so ferocious that it that uh it just became frankly all consuming and and uh, to the point that within a couple of months of my father's death a couple of months after his death i completely walked away from my regular life and i mean i sold my half of the business that I've been running. I sold my car. I said goodbye to the lovely girlfriend, gave the keys to my home to someone I barely knew. This had been a long time coming. This was not a snap decision. This is this had been something I'd sort of been, you know, leaning towards, it seemed like, for quite a long time. But uh, and I, I simply left and I left simply and only because that internal drive to resolve those questions had become so overwhelmingly ferocious that I just absolutely could not not do this. And it it is a little sound. It sounds a little over dramatic, and it, it it sounds 
you know, like kind of a weird thing to do to most functioning grownups who are leading busy lives. And that's fair, but, uh, but I could not, not do it. And what I was, what I was going towards in, in, in seeking those, the answers to those kinds of questions obviously relates back profoundly to that NDE. In fact, the first time I ever uh, paid close attention to my own story was during this period in which I, I did leave. I, I, I literally just left. I, I actually, I put my, I went from Seattle, Washington to a tiny little village in the Western Highlands of Guatemala, where I did not speak the language. There were no roads. You had to take a boat. It was extraordinarily remote. And uh, I, I sat and I journaled for months. And the, the story, this story of the NDE, among many other stories, only came into being because during that journaling process, I decided to write it down. And that was the first time I ever told it. I didn't tell it to anyone. I just wrote it on paper. Um, and, uh, and that was to, to write it on paper like that was, uh, and all the rest of it was an act of trying to sort through it. It was a, it was a deconstructive act. Uh, if you were a good Advaitic seeker, you would have said I was doing self-inquiry. And that's, that's certainly true. It was sort of self-inquiry on steroids. Uh, extremely intense and uh, very, you know, very focused. I, I had absolutely nothing to do other than the right. So that's what I did for months. And uh, anyway, the, uh, I, I sort of skipped past a number of points that you, you raised that I kind of intended to come back to. And frankly, I've even forgotten at least one or two of them now. <laughs> but uh, you know, I've I've said a, a great deal about merging into the infinite and and losing an individuated sense of self in favor of an overwhelming wholeness, and and those are things that that can sound really out of reach to ordinary people that are trying to uh, make their lunch and go to work and send their kid to school. And I want to bring it back around a little you know, to those things because, you know, we're all in this ordinary world doing those ordinary things like tying our shoes and putting gas in our cars and so on. And uh, the, the thing is that if I, if I go back to that overwhelming experience and we'll just return there for a moment and, and see what it's like to even imagine for a moment that if there is a sense of absolutely overwhelming allness that is missing nothing, there cannot be anything missing. And, and as a result, there cannot be any sense of, of lack or want or need. And if you imagine what it's like for even just a moment to experience, what, what would it be like to feel absolutely no sense of lack or want or need? Then it's extraordinarily peaceful. There certainly couldn't be anything wrong. Nothing would need to be changed. Nothing, frankly, even would need to be done. It's all right here, right now. And, um, and as a result, it's, there's, it's essentially the 
there, there couldn't even be any sense of fear then. What, what could there be to fear? And again, that's among the reasons why it could be so extraordinarily peaceful and it seemed kind of quiet. There's not a whole lot there to make a whole lot of noise once the fear is gone. And it's also a place from which then it couldn't possibly seem natural to do anything other than be kind or forgiving or loving because what what would there what else would there be to do it, it's 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 where it's how one kind of comes around to this feeling like well our our natural default setting the only natural default setting that's even available then is something that's overwhelmingly loving and here's the thing about that and this is what's going to bring it around to put a gas in the car taking the kids to school is that there's no one on this planet, even the, the most troubled, that hasn't in some small way, in some way, bumped into an experience of love. That is something that you, we can't be here on this planet without it's some sort of a touch of it. And yes, in, in some it seems to be more covered over than others. And there's a wide range of things, but there's no one that is untouched by it completely. No one. It's, it's just part of our deepest nature. We couldn't be here on the planet at all without it. And, and it really, that is what connects us back to this. And so when someone might think, oh, these experiences are, are, are too out there. They're, they're just, I can't fathom them. I can't wrap my head around them. It's too mind-blowing. It's too much. How could this even be true or real? Well, if you've ever had a loving thought ever in your mind, ever, then you have, in fact, touched it. And that's one of the, the greatest, most beautiful commonalities that we share as human beings. I agree with you, Jonathan, completely. And as you're talking, I'm thinking to myself, it must be that 1% that actually was this divine love that brought you back to Earth to help others now. Because like you- I'm about to tear up. I'm about to tear up myself right here, right now, but I, I, I can't imagine a better explanation than what you just said. I feel it, you know. Um, as you were talking, there was this sense of harmony, of mm. alignment, and this merging of complete understanding of complete love and you felt that love whatever you had gone through in those hours mm -hmm. in that great despair of the suffering as you say and the suffering disappeared mm -hmm. yeah and your emergence into this divine ocean of love you must have agreed, even maybe you don't remember, but you must have agreed to come back and to share that love. And I think that's what made the difference, is that your love for people 
and your greatness of your soul made that deal in effect with the divine to come back and to teach others to remind them of this beautiful love it's um i i don't know i mean i can't say that i have a a visual memory of making that agreement i just knew it was the right thing to come back and that i've had to i spent the next bunch of years uh, rather slowly discovering the directions i should be going in and um the more i listened carefully within the more the the direction that direction revealed itself and i had to go through many 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 other experiences um uh, challenges all kinds of things of course uh, but that is the pause i, I imagine think, there being yeah. any other better reason for being here either um it, it's why today on this podcast i i i can't imagine doing anything better with my time today than having this lovely conversation with you yeah yeah it it makes me smile because i um i'm overjoyed that you <laughs> came and that you shared your story and i know we wanted to talk about so many other things but that's why you you must come back again to you share have to do that no. you have to you must come back again and you have left me with a profound sense of memory of sweetness mm -hmm. and a memory of many things that have happened in my life mm -hmm. and i'm sure for the people out there also you have touched upon something that is part of all of us and that is being born living dying how many of us really live and that's the most important thing is if anything not only are you reminding people myself included of course about love and about life and that through being selfless through this magnificent love that is installed in every single one of us and that's why we recognize it we can only recognize that because it's a reflection of us mm -hmm. and you so beautifully put it that you know we are part of something far greater the divinity is within us and i want to thank you for reminding me and for reminding everybody out there and for really sharing this astonishing story that i hope helps people out there to love to live and not to be afraid amen Sometimes it's hard to find words when it seems like yes. the best vessel for holding such such peace is is so often silence. 
Yes. And uh, if any of this, I can see in you, it, you know, and, and in and probably many of the people listening, if it, if it seems like any of this has evoked within you a sense of, of quietude, um, even the kind of quietude that you know would be difficult to put into words, then we have managed to touch exactly what we've been talking about. So, Indeed. Indeed. Amen. amen to you and to that stillness and that quietude and that love. Yeah. Beautiful, really. And um... we'll do it again sometime. Let's do it again. Let's do it again. Indeed, because you are such a fascinating person, Jonathan, and you have many stories to share. And as you know, I'm a lover of stories. And um, I'm sure there's so much you can teach us, much, much more. But in the meantime, for everybody out there that wants to contact you or find out more about your work, where can they do that? That's, that's, that's a good idea. That's great. Um, the easiest way to do it is at a, my little website, little corner of the web, which is called assistthespirit.com. And you can find some of my work there and writings and small video things and all kinds of things. Um, and you're welcome to write me a note if any of this, I, you know, I, if anyone writes me, I, I will write you back. And um, you're welcome to initiate that conversation. So as I said a moment ago, it's, I don't really have anything better to be doing with my time than these kinds of things. And uh, I'm delighted to do them. So, Oh, and I'm so honored, really, that you came and shared your moments of your life in this hour or so with myself and everybody out there. It, it has really been a beautiful, beautiful talk. I'm glad you think so, Mimi. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much, Jonathan. Give my regards to Seattle and your I magical will. place of all your wonderful, oh my goodness, your seals and all <laughs> things there that are beautiful. And um I hope one day well, you you know you come to England again, and um, you can share. You know we can show you around and share some beautiful moments again. That sounds delightful, and uh, there's a non-zero chance that, that happens in the fall, but we'll keep you all posted. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. Have a beautiful day because I know it's day there, mm -hmm. and um, as I said, it would be wonderful to have you back again. I look forward to it, Mimi. Thank you All so right. much. Thank you, you, Jonathan. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Jonathan Van Valen, what an extraordinary story and a wonderful reminder to live every moment of our life. Thank you for joining me as ever. I really appreciate it. And I hope you will join me in the next episode. Until next time. Look after yourselves and sending you wonderful love. Thank you for listening to Secrets for an Inspirational Life, brought to you by your host, Mimi Novik. 
please remember to subscribe to the podcast and see you in the next episode. For more information about Mimi Novik and her books, music and inspirational work, take a look at her website www.miminovic.co.uk